Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are talking to Sonam Obsessian, who might be the most famous personal assistant in America. She's worked for Conan O'Brien for the last 12 years, and she's part of the hit podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and now she's out with a memoir, The World's Worst Assistant, in which she explains how to be strategically bad at your job, but in such a way that you're basically unfireable. Uh, We're also going to play a fun little game of workplace, Would You Rather, with Sona. Then we're going to hear some stand-up from the very funny Marcella Arguello, talking about the politics of airport parking. And then we've got music from Portland's very own Gemini musical duo, Brown Calculus. It's going to be a fun show, so don't go anywhere. It all gets started right after this. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going great this week. I was wondering... If you are in the mood, and I hope the answer is yes, because this is how we always start the show, to play a little station location identification examination. The answer is not yes. It is heck yes. Perfect. This is where I'm going to describe a place in the country where we're on the radio. You got to guess where I'm talking about. I know one of these hints will give it away because you usually nail it with the literary references. So I'm going to start with a less obvious clue. This city is home to the headquarters of the American cable channel HGTV. Hmm. I would not have gotten this from HGTV. Maybe I started off too hard. Uh, I'm assuming it's somewhere in Tennessee because all of their programs take place in Tennessee. How do you already have the state? Is it Nashville? It's the other one you'd be thinking of. It's where Pulitzer Prize winning author James Agee. Oh, Knoxville. (laughs) That's right. A Death in the Family is one of my favorite books. It's in Knoxville. <laughs> That's right. Knoxville, Tennessee, where folks are hearing us on WUOTFM2 in the Marble City. Hey, the Marble City. <laughs> All right, should we get to the show? Yeah, let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's. This week, writer and podcaster Sonam Obsessian. It's Conan O'Brien needs a friend, not Sonam Obsessian needs a friend. So if it's terrible, it's not my name on it. <laughs> Stand-up comedian Marcella Arguello. Now look, I don't look this good when I fly. Those listening at home, I look hot as hell. With music from Brown Calculus and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of LiveWire, 
Luke Burbank. Thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. All over the country, including from the Marble City, Knoxville, Tennessee, we have a very fun show in store for you this week. I've been very excited to talk to Sonam Obsessian for a while, ever since I started hearing her on the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast, so we're going to hear that in a minute. We also, of course, asked the Livewire audience a question based on Sona's book and personal experience. The question we asked was, what's the worst job you've ever had? We are going to hear those responses coming up in a moment. First, though, we got to kick things off, as we always do, with the best news we heard all week. This right here is our little reminder that there is still occasionally some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news you've heard all week? Oh, this is so interesting. It's sort of like uh, archives of music history news. All right. Back in 2021, unfortunately, we lost a man named Russ Thyrett, who is the former CEO of Warner Brothers. And before he had that top banana job, he Mm. worked a lot of jobs, finding artists, nurturing artists, mentoring artists, signing artists. He worked with Devo. He worked with REM. And he signed an 18-year-old prince. (gasps) So um, after Russ Thyrett passed away, An archivist went through his entire estate, soup to nuts, even went up in the attic of what I'm assuming is some kind of fabulous home. And among the things that they uncovered is a quarter inch reel to reel from 1977. So it was like 43 years old. And on it, three songs are written Just as Long as We're Together, My Love is Forever, and Jelly Jam. And right beside them, it says in in handwriting, right? Like in pen. Yeah. Copyright Prince Nelson, 1977. Oh, my gosh. The archivist, Jeff Gold, who's also kind of worked uh, with Rost, I read and worked at Warner Brothers, started doing his homework and figured out and got confirmation that this is the demo tape that got Prince his record deal. That first one where it's got I want to be your lover on it and all that. Well, that is the record that he recorded after he got the deal. Yeah. And it was a great deal. Apparently, they kind of played a bunch of record labels against each other. And one of the reasons Prince went with Warner Brothers, who we know he eventually had some issues with. But in the original deal, when that was signed, he really enjoyed Thyret, who took him back to his house and they just listened to music and like was really all about the artist. And so that was very attractive to him. But yeah, this is the demo Prince recorded in Minneapolis playing all of the instruments that got sent out to all of these different places in hopes of landing him a record deal. Listen to this, Burbank. It is now up for auction. Wait a second. So in other words, I can't listen to it. Well, technically you can't listen to the reel-to-reel, but the auctioneer has like repackaged it. So there's a CD that goes along with it. But you would have the actual physical analog, you know, Prince's voice hammered into this tape in the original box. And I don't know whose handwriting the writing on the cover is. It's probably not Prince's because it spells out all the words without using an enumeration. (laughs) It doesn't use the number two and then like, uh, you know, some other kind of hieroglyphs. Nope. So since that's not outrightly owned by Paisley Park, it's Mm. up for auction. It's available to sort of... Uh, so you could right now there's only two bids you got three what? more weeks to bid on it and the top bid right now is only eight grand so you know hawk your air fryer and <laughs> i feel like um uh first i overpaid for that air fryer i don't know why i paid eight grand for it um 
I feel like, you know, Prince, of course, is, is no longer with us, but there are just these little moments of his life that come back. Like, remember when he was like a little kid being interviewed yeah. by the local news? Somebody found that. That wasn't that long ago. You got this demo that like a lot of people didn't know about. It's like he's, you know, he's still putting out stuff even from, uh, you know, wherever he is now, which I assume is the most glamorous place you can be. That's right. There's dubs everywhere. That's right. And none of them are crying. Mm -mm. All right. Our listeners in California can feel excitement that the magical force that is Dolly Parton has, has once again made life better in these United States. In California, the Senate Bill 1183 has been signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom. It's going to provide funding for Dolly Parton's Imagination Library Program The way that the Imagination Library works is it's aimed at encouraging preschool children to sort of develop a love of learning early on. If you're somebody who loves reading and learning like I know you do, Elena, and like I really did as a kid, you know that feeling of when you first start being able to read and you just get your hands on a book that totally just captures your imagination and you spend like an entire day in the summertime hidden out in your room, just like reading that book or whatever. Well, that's what they want to create for more children. And so basically you can get a free book mailed directly to your home at no cost to your family. This is going to start June of next year. And right now there are apparently 14 states, five countries that are taking part in this Imagination Library. And so far they've donated over 186 million books. This is going to cover all 58 California counties, up to 2.4 million children are eligible for this. And this is a first for this Imagination Library. It's the first time that they've had bilingual options available. And so all over California, and again, already in a lot of other states, kids are going to be able to get a free book sent right to their house, thanks to a program started by the one, the only Dolly Parton. Once again, another reason to to quote an earlier best news story, quote, be like Dolly on a dinosaur. Like, oh, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> wasn't that a kid was using yeah. that to like hype, hype themselves up when they his, needed encouragement? That was his motivational speech to his mom. And I think, you know, Governor Newsom is going to make it possible for all of these great young readers to be like Dolly on a dinosaur, which, by the way, my husband says that to me all the time now. <laughs> I mean, that is like we talked about this recently. That's one of the best things about being in any long term relationship is just the weird stuff you say to each other. Mm-hmm. So now that you and David have Dolly on a dinosaur. That is, to me, the best news that I heard all week. All right, let's invite our first guest on over to the program. She's been Conan O'Brien's assistant for the past 12 years, a job that she says, she says she is quite bad at the job. She's also the co-host of his podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, which, as a listener, I will tell you, she's quite good at that job. She also stars in the Team Coco show, Sona Fixes Your Life. Now, being bad at her job has freed her up the time to go ahead and write a book, which is out now. It's called The World's Worst Assistant. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Sona Movsesian, recorded in front of a live audience at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. This is nice. Sona, welcome to the show. Are you getting used to doing stuff like this? I mean, you've been doing stuff with Conan in kind of the public for a long time now, but, you know, being a, a, a celebrity yourself and being on stage and having crowds, does this all feel pretty natural to you at this point? No. 
No, no, no. Does it feel natural? No, God, no. This is horrifying. Um, <laughs> it's nice that you said I'm a celebrity, but I don't think I'm a celebrity. I don't think anything makes you feel like less of a celebrity than working for someone like Conan O'Brien. Because, <laughs> you know, he's a giant, and when he walks around, people just stare at him, and they like, you know, if you can, if you can get a same-day reservation at a restaurant that you want to go to, I think that's when you're a celebrity, and I still can't do that. Right now, I'm I'm just I'm nothing. Well, that's not true. That was a little. <laughs> Whoa! That's so sad. That got really. I am a nothing person. No. Because if you're not a celebrity, you are nothing. Yeah. That's right. So... If, that's, if there's one thing you've learned in L.A., you had a. Speaking of jobs, uh, you had a lot of jobs before that you write about in the book before you were working with Conan. Yeah. And one of them was, uh, well, one, you worked at a watch shop. Yes, Tick Time. Which it sounds like you really you really put about half of your all into. Uh, half of my all. I nap. That's where I learned how to nap on the job. Right. You could, what is the key to that? You, um, you know, you just find a comfortable spot and you close your eyes and <laughs> doze off. It's, it's not as hard as you would think it is. It's... <laughs> Uh, you have to trust the people around you not to snitch. And uh, <laughs> what else? How many times are you going to Windex a watch case? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how many times are you just going to, like, clean things up? At some point, you're just, I'm going to catch up on sleep. You also worked at the Hollywood Bowl. In, I did. Like, the, in a sort of a store there. And are you familiar with the term quiet quitting? I am now. Do you think you invented that? I yeah. may have. I may have. Well, so... I, I don't think I quit quietly, though, because I didn't even quit. I just got fired, um, which is very different than quitting. I worked at the Hollywood Bowl, which is a season, the summer. And then for two of those weeks, I asked if I could go to Australia, hoping they'd be like, okay, we can let you go to Australia, but you can't come back. Because I was over it at that point. And they're like, yeah, we'll hold on to your job. And so these really lovely people, and I want to say I, I loved this job, but then when I came back from Australia, I just didn't want to work anymore. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped going to work. <laughs> and I kept making all these excuses. I said, oh, my car doesn't work. Oh, I don't feel well. And then at some point, they called me, and they're like, we're going to need you to not come in anymore. And I remember I hung up, and I was in Palm Springs <laughs> when I should have been at work. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, you know what? That's fair. This is a fair, that, what you're doing is a good decision. But look how everything turned out. Uh, by the way, uh, we're talking to Sona Movsesian here on Livewire. Her book is The World's Worst Assistant. I'm wondering what your uh, kind of expectations were when you got hired to be Conan O'Brien's assistant. Did you think this was a couple of years of your life or? Yeah, I thought it was gonna be a couple years. I thought, oh, I'll take this job and then I'll, you know, step on Conan's back to go to the next thing. Um, Which is then, kind of how it's worked out in a way. Yeah, it is kind of. You're I've, here with I've, your book you wrote. I've ridden those coattails as much as I can. I've just taken Conan's fame that he's worked really hard on for over 30 years and I've just used it to my advantage as much as I can. So... When I first got the job, I remember them saying, you know, Conan would really like you to work for him for about five years, uh, you know, if you can give a five-year commitment. And I said, yeah, but I'm like, I'm not going to work for Conan for five years. <laughs> and that was 13 years ago. Wow. Um, and I still work for him. But I, I didn't know what the job was really going to be. I'd never been a personal assistant before, so I didn't know what to expect. You know, and I was a fan of his, and he could have sucked, and I would have uh. 
been miserable, but luckily he wasn't. And, uh, you know, I've parlayed that into making money for myself. (laughs) I want to find out more about that money-making aspect to see if, when we come back from this break, we've got to take, if you were able to achieve what you express as the singular goal of writing this book. Yes. Um, So we will talk more with Sonam Obsessian here on Livewire. Back with more in a minute. If there's a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of enjoying alcohol, it's with Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use Livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Hey, welcome back to Livewire from PRX. We are talking to Sona Movsesian about her book, The World's Worst Assistant. Sona uh, works with Conan O'Brien. Um, one of the things that you and Conan lean into on the podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and the various uh, TV pieces you've shot, and even this book, is that you are extremely bad at the job of being his assistant. Yeah. But I also feel like you could not have had the job for 13 years if you were really as bad at it as you sort of profess. Yeah. I, you know, you're right. I think that um, I'm bad at what assistants should do, hmm. like scheduling and <laughs> taking care of their bosses and helping them. Those Assisting are, them. Those are all parts where I lack. But at the, at the flip side... I think that for working for someone like Conan O'Brien, who is a comedian, comedians love when they just get material from the people around them. And one thing that I have provided Conan with over the last 13 years is an endless well of material. Um, And I think that's what's really given me the job security that I have. Is that if if he can make fun of me in a group of people and then high five me afterwards, which is the most humiliating thing. If anybody, if you've ever been in a group of people and then one just makes fun of you and then everyone laughs and then that person who made fun of you makes you high five them. And you have to because he's your boss. It is so demeaning, but he he lives off of that. So, you know, I think... You, you know, where I suck at just not being a good assistant, where I'm just bad at that, I, you know, I excel at material, and that's more valuable for Conan than, you know, remembering, a, you know, an, a doctor's appointment. Sure. <laughs> How important could a doctor's appointment be? How important uh, Mr. Could O'Brien, it be? we've biopsied that mole, and it's not good. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get the memo. No, yeah. Um, did you and Conan always have this really kind of sort of interesting dynamic, um, you know, from even the early days of you working with him? 
yeah, I think it started very early. In the very beginning, I wanted to be a professional person. I had a notebook. <laughs> wow. Got a notebook. I had a Dang. notebook. I had a pen. And I was like, I'm going to write things. And then... <laughs> I was very, very, uh, you know, invested in doing a good job for him because I wanted to. And then it just sort of chipped away. And it's not just my fault. I mean, you know, where it really turned sour, not sour, but where it became this. You know, I was speaking to my grandma on the phone one day. And then I hung up and I was speaking to her in Armenian and I hung up the phone. And then he goes, what was that? It sounded like you were arguing with Dracula. (laughs) And instead of being like, how dare you insult my ancestral language like that, I just laughed. And I think that me laughing gave him license to realize he could go from, oh, you're, you're now a vampire, so that's going to be my joke about you for the next two years, to the point where someone who gets me a secret Santa gives me, like, blood wine and does an entire, like, theme around me being a vampire. And then that goes into me needing ancestral soil so that I, my, I can move about the, the, <laughs> right. the land. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it just, like, snowballed. And eventually, like, I steal things and I steal babies from, <laughs> from like, the marketplace. And, you know, I mean, it just, it's, it's absurd. And I should have, I think it all went back to me laughing at that first that joke. That one joke. Yeah. And if I just didn't laugh at it, everything would have been different. And I probably would have gotten fired. Right. <laughs> That you may be describing a hostile work environment. I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, it's very hostile. Yeah. <laughs> it's so inappropriately hostile um, on both sides. It's just we're, you know, mm. I can never work anywhere else. I think right. that's the, the thing I learned. You give him on the podcast so much crap back. Yeah. When, when in your relationship did you feel comfortable just giving it right back to him the way that you do? Oh, that was also very early on. Um, <laughs> apart so early on I can't even I don't even know I think that when he started making fun of me and then I started laughing and then I just kind of like said something about him being Irish he's Irish by the way I don't know if you guys oh, knew that wow, wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah I mean you know then after that I when he also it's all about the way we, we responded to things so I would say everything fell apart within the first six months <laughs> by the end of the first six months it was a, just a mess <laughs> I really, really enjoy the podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, that is Conan and Matt Gorley and you, and I really enjoy the dynamic that the three of you have, because, I mean, the show is ostensibly about interviewing these famous people, and you've had on Michelle Obama, super famous people. Yeah. I really enjoy the dynamic between the three of you a ton. When when, uh, they asked you, or Conan asked you, do you want to do this podcast, what what did you think it was going to turn into? I didn't know what it entailed. I didn't think anybody... It's not that I didn't think anybody would listen to it. It's that I didn't think that I would have much of a role in it. But I always just tell myself it's Conan O'Brien needs a friend, not Sonam Obsessian needs a friend. So if it's terrible, it's not my name on it. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think just helps me in general is if I look bad, Conan looks bad. And I just slither back to obscurity and it doesn't matter. But, you know, he has a lot more on the line. I forgot what the question was. Just, you answered it. You actually, for not remembering the question, you answered it pretty yeah. thoroughly. Okay, yeah. I have nothing to lose. I yeah. think I have nothing to lose in, in every aspect of my job. So, you know. <laughs> this is Livewire from PRX. We are talking to Sonam Obsessian. 
Her new book is The World's Worst Assistant. I thought this book was really entertaining. Thank you. It was really in your voice, yeah. which I, I just find like uh, really charming. I'm wondering what it was like for you to write a book, uh, presuming you hadn't written one before this. Never. Awful. Was, was I don't like writing than... books. Really? Um, there's so many words you have to put on the page. Um, I didn't realize that when I wrote it. I mean, you know, I, I had the idea for it, and I, I luckily, you know, I wrote a proposal and it sold. And then they said, okay, well, you know, we're hoping to get X amount of words. And I was like, can anybody write those many words? <laughs> and I think it was something like 60,000. And I thought, okay, I'm going to send them 20,000. And they are going to be so bowled over by these <laughs> words that they're going to be like, this is good enough. And then I did. And then they said, okay, but you know you have to write 40,000 more words. Um, and so I thought, okay, fine. And then it was hard. And then I had, I had twin boys while I was writing it. So I had my twin boys in July, and my deadline was in October. So, you know, I was like pumping milk and typing at the same time. That's how Hemingway did it. <laughs> and you know, you know what? Hemingway and I are on the same level. Yeah. So... Yeah. That makes sense. We're the same. When Hemingway also like inflated the font for a few pages <laughs> right. just to make the word count. I think I saw that in The Sun Also yeah. Rises. Yeah. I did get to a point where I just thought, just get words onto a page and we'll fix it in post. There is really a section of this book that is so charming to anyone who ever had to write a paper in school. Where you, What was the size font you're using? Oh, yeah. So I write an entire chapter called the filler chapter, which is everything I did in school, which is, you know, I, I define words just to add words into the word count. I go on these long tangents about random things. And at one point, I made the font a lot bigger and I widened the margins. Yes, classic move. So in the, yeah, so all just to get as much in there. And I thought, oh, they're not going to like it. And then they did. So I got away with a lot. I think the problem is I surround myself with people who enable my behavior. <laughs> and then... And then they reward me for it with, like, book deals and putting me on podcasts and stuff. <laughs> so I just don't learn, I don't learn my lesson. But, you know, I mean, at well, some point. Well, maybe the lesson is that you're actually really funny and entertaining. I, I don't think that's it. I think that it's, I, I think, I really just think that I just found exactly where I should be. And I'm coasting as much as I can. So... You write in the book that the reason that you wanted to write the book was so that you could pay for a remodel on your kitchen. I am. October 3rd, demo starts. So we did it. We did it. Oh, my God. I know. So it worked. It did work. It did. I know. People thought I was joking, but that, that's why I that wrote a book. That had the ring of truth to me. Are you still actually, at this point, working actively as Conan O'Brien's assistant? So when I went on maternity leave, uh, this guy David took over my responsibilities as assistant. Uh, and then when I came back from maternity leave, I had a conversation with David and Conan and I said, this is working for me. I don't know if this is working for you guys. So I think, so when I came back from maternity leave, you know, when you're, when you're an assistant, you really have to be available all the time. And you really do have to uh, be able to travel with someone and go off and, you know, 
go on a full day press conference or whatever. And I just can't do that anymore. So David does it now. Um, but over the course of the last 13 years, I've made myself indispensable, which is part of what I talk about in my book. So like the other day, Conan had to do something for his cell phone, and his cell phone is under my name. <laughs> so he needed me for that. Yeah. And I feel like when I do one thing a week that's important, that justifies my existence. <laughs> So I feel like it's, it's like a long con, and I'm finally at the point where I'm doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> but he can't get rid of me. God, that is, genius. That is so elegant. It what, is. What I'm, is. A, I'm a criminal mastermind. <laughs> I really think that if I got into crime, I would be running an entire mob myself right well, now. Well, let's be honest. David would be running. Yeah, yeah you'd David have somebody else running, running it. it. I'd be profiting. You're right. You'd be home admiring your kitchen. <laughs> uh, this is Livewire. We're talking to Sonam Obsessian. All right. Uh, this is the part of the show where we like to give our listeners uh, some practical advice that they can use in their own lives. And um, we were thinking that because this book, you know, is the world's worst assistant, maybe we could get some of your opinions on kind of divisive workplace scenarios since there's a certain workplace element to your book. Yeah. Um, so on the table in front of you, Sona, is a, a jar. We've got five scenarios in there. We call this the jar of truth. I know that sounds like Dracula music. <laughs> Did you did do that on purpose? That. No, okay. Al has been playing that trill for many guests over the years. It's just yeah. this time it was appropriate in a sort of Dracula way. <laughs> It would be like Conan to call ahead of time and say, play Dracula music at some point. Okay, so this is how it's going to work. Sona, we're going to have you pull a question at random out of the jar. Elena Passarello is going to read you the scenario, and we'd like to get your opinion, okay? So take it away. Okay, Sona, what's worse? Scheduling a meeting at 4.30 on a Friday or scheduling any meeting that could have been an email? What's worse? Yeah, oh, the 4.30 on a Friday. What are we doing? That's the correct answer. I want to go yeah. home at noon on a Friday. <laughs> so I don't know why anyone would do that. Yeah. yeah. You speak that, for us all. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. There's, that was a short answer. That's no. fine. Did you guys need more, more beef? No. No. Oh. no we have, that was meaty enough. I that think. was the correct yeah. amount of beef. Yeah, no. All right. Grab have beef if you I answered think I meant way. to say meat, and I said beef instead. <laughs> That was beefy. Beefy. You need more beef? <laughs> Where is the beef? <laughs> oh, Can man. that be the name of your second book? You Need More Beef need by more Sona Mobsessian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sona has uh, selected another workplace scenario. Elena? Okay. How about this one? Are you pro or anti out-of-office messages that detail someone's vacation location? Oh, uh, you shouldn't do that anyway because hold the phone. Do not ever put on your out of office that you're on vacation because it could go anywhere and then someone will be like, they're on vacation, I guess I'll rob them. So don't do it. Just it's a very basic, I'm out of the office. That's an important question because a lot of people should not do that. I learned that, uh, not the hard way, I didn't get robbed. (laughs) But I remember someone saying that and I was like, oh yeah, because your emails go out to so many people and someone could be like, they're not home, I'll go rob their house. Although when you start your criminal syndicate, Yes, that's You've true. You've already got your first mm-hmm. heist plan. Yeah, Just yeah. read everyone's out-of-office email. That's true, and I used, I used to shoplift. Why am I talking? 
What is the most... God. What's the most expensive Why? thing you ever shoplifted? They were never that expensive. Like, what would the kind of stuff be? It was like a, a bracelet from Express. And I used to do it in a, in a, like, a way where I was, like, you know, sticking it to the man. So I would, like, wear it, and I'd walk out, and I'd even, like, wave my hand. But I, if you walk out with confidence, they're like, that must be her bracelet. Yeah. So that, but it was always, like, less than $20. I had a, a, a period of my life when I was younger where I was really into shoplifting baseball cards oh. from the pharmacy across the street from my house until this woman named Gladys, who worked there, grabbed me by my lapels. I know this sounds like a Norman Rockwell painting. I didn't have a slingshot in my back pocket and like a little dog with me. But you had lapels. She, she grabbed me by my shirt and she said, you have sticky fingers. <laughs> and I never shoplifted from Craigan's Pharmacy again. That's good. Okay, one more before we let you go. Sona. Okay, final question. Who would you like to work for the least? A boss who always goes five minutes over on meetings or a boss who ends a meeting three minutes early and then says they're giving you some time back. Like, cool, I guess you can go pursue your dreams in those three minutes. Wow. <laughs> that is so specific. Mm-hmm. Um, do people say I'm giving you your time yeah. back? Yeah. Have you guys all yeah. heard that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's annoying. Isn't that gross? I'm fine with the five minutes over instead of the giving you your time yeah. back. That's yeah. a power issue that no, you don't want to get involved silly. with. It's like you're welcome. Yeah, here's, totally. here's three minutes. Yeah. This interview was actually going to go five minutes longer, but we're going to give you some time back, Sona. Oh. And thank you. Sona Mobsessian, everyone. That was Sona Mobsessian right here on Livewire, her book. The world's worst assistant is available now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Tammy McLaughlin Trammell of White Salmon, Washington, and Anthony Mayint of Portland, Oregon. Tammy and Anthony are part of the Livewire member community and are generously supporting our show with a donation each month, which we are very thankful for because it's actually how we're able to keep Livewire going. So a huge thanks to Tammy and Anthony for all the support. This is Livewire. As we do each week, we ask the audience a question. We asked, what is the worst job you've ever had? This is because we were chatting with Sonam Obsessian about some of her less glamorous employment opportunities that she's been through. Uh, Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Well, the most common factors, I think, for what constitutes a bad job appear to be lack of air conditioning and bodily fluids from some sort of creature. (laughs) Which, you know, can sometimes go hand in hand. If there's no AC where you're working and it's the summertime, that can lead to some bodily fluids leaking. Good point. That's a good point. Uh, I wonder if that was Jamie's experience. Jamie says, I tested hydrology instrumentation with a scale model of a sewer system in an unair-conditioned metal building in Alabama in August. And guess what? They used peat moss to simulate poop. I mean... You got to pay a lot for that job, I think, or you've got to make sure that the the uh, help wanted ad does not indicate what the person's really going to be doing, because that that was just a litany of things that sound miserable. I bet it's one of those job descriptions that has engineer in the title. Uh, uh-huh, sure, you know, and you're like, oh, hydrology yeah. engineer. My mom will be so proud of me. And then you're just right. shoving poop shaped peat moss through a tube. 
in an in a big metal building in Alabama in August with no air conditioning. <laughs> uh, what's another not so great job that one of our listeners had? I love this one just because it teaches me something. Uh, this was anonymously submitted. My worst job was working in a bird food factory, making pressed bird seed into the shape of a bell one summer to save up for college. It was hot, sticky, smelly, and turned me off of birds. I never thought that somebody has to turn that bird seed bell into a bell. That That's a, a, a sculpture. I'm sure the birds of the world are appreciative, though. So hopefully that takes the edge off whoever had to have that job. Okay, one more not-so-great job that one of our listeners had to suffer through. Here's one from David who says, Worst job I ever had, a nursing home wedding officiant. Just kidding. It was an effing awesome gig. (laughs) Okay. I am really glad that that sentence ended like it did because I was thinking that would be one of the most, I think, fun and life-affirming gigs you could have would be connecting people up in love at whatever age they might be. Yeah, even if it wasn't official. You know, even if folks just wanted to, you know, have a nice little wedding on a Wednesday afternoon before Wapner came on. I think that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I got to start getting married. Less legally binding and, you know... Uh, in between the prices right in the people's court. I'm only 70% sure that my marriage, which took place in Las Vegas via Elvis impersonator, was legally binding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks to everyone who sent in a response to our audience question this week. We've got another one coming up for next week's show, which we will reveal in just a bit. So stick around for that. In the meantime, this is Livewire Radio. Let's welcome our next guest to the program. She's a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor. Is also the host and the producer of Woman Crush, the most diverse stand-up show at the Hollywood Improv Lab. Her album, The Woke Bully, debuted at number three on the Billboard Comedy Chart. Take a listen to this, the very funny Marcella Arguello, live at the Alberta Rose Theater, right here on LiveWire. All right, my name is Marcella. I'm very tall. Take it in. I'm 6'2". Thank you. I, I love being tall. I get mistaken for a man sometimes. I don't care. Men are respected, girl. Um, so it's fine with me. I, it does bother me sometimes. Like, uh, you know, it's flying here. I'm, I, I live in California, so I came in and we landed. And so when we land... Now, look, I don't look this good when I fly. (laughs) Those listening at home, I look hot as hell. Okay? But when I fly, I don't look like this. I'm wearing, like, baggy pants, oversized shirts, sneakers, no makeup, glasses, mask, hair pulled back, right? And so we land. As soon as we land, the woman across from me, she jumps out of her seat, and then she goes to grab her bag from the overhead compartment, but she's struggling with her bag. And this foin black dude helps her with her bag. And I was like, I'm gonna struggle. <laughs> with my bag, okay? He was buff, I liked it. So when I get out of my seat, I go up to grab my bag and I'm like, oh, owie. My little wrists. And he looks at me. He's like, you got that, bro? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it's all good money. 
I, I had to move on with my life at that point. I had no chance with that dude. Um, it was fine. Um, so something happened at the airport, not even at the, in the airport parking lot. So I parked in economy because it's a long trip, okay? So I parked in the economy lot. I walked to the little terminal shuttle bus thing. I'm standing there. There's a dude there. He has a Trump hat on. I don't care. And then this other lady comes up with her little bag, and she sees his Trump hat, and she gets so pumped. And it's hella funny because, do you ever wear a band T-shirt? And you're like, oh, my God, Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God, LL Cool J, whatever. And you bond, you're like, and you relate. That's what was going on with this Trump hat that I saw. And I'd never seen that before. It was like, Trump 24, oh my God. They were relating to each other so hardcore. They were loving it. Like, oh man, oh man. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool that you can like just find your people off a hat. <laughs> and the woman, not wearing the hat, the dude was wearing the hat. The woman goes, she said, this airport parking lot is a mess because of the Democrats. <laughs> and that's where the dude drew the line. <laughs> he was like, hey, hey, we're at the airport. Air- airport parking, it's always been bad. <laughs> and I, I love that that's where he drew the line. <laughs> Not immigration, <laughs> not abortion. It was like airport parking, hey, <laughs> relax. That's all of ours issues. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad he has ethics. I don't even know where I don't even know where that falls under, but it cracked me up so hard. Hey, make some noise for yourselves. We do appreciate you coming out and supporting live shows, live anything. It's been such a hard two years. It's been such a hard two years. I know I miss a lot of things from the before times. There's a lot of things I don't do anymore. Like, I don't really go out dancing. I used to love going out dancing. That was my favorite thing, to go out dancing. Um, I used to love going to gay bars. You know, gay men, they, oh, man, they love straight women. Gay men will compliment you no matter what you look like. I once walked into a club looking just terrible, head to toe. I just got off a flight, right? I just looked terrible. <laughs> as soon as I walked in, this, this gay dude was like, yes, girl, you serving hobo realness, girl. <laughs> I was like, thank you so much. I hate going to straight clubs. I hate it. I hate going to straight clubs. Dudes have no idea how to approach a woman. I once had a dude... He rolls up on me, literally, he's in a wheelchair, he rolls up. <laughs> I'm excited, he, go, he gestures me down, I, I'm like, what's up? And he says, and I quote, you would be perfect if you had a big butt. <laughs> I was like, you don't have legs. <laughs> and I wasn't gonna bring it up, I had no problem with it. I like how some of you tightened up there. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm not the bad guy in that story. <laughs> ML 
MLK taught me to judge people by the content of their character. That man was a jerk, okay? <laughs> Think about it. He could have been clever. He could have been super clever with it. Could have been creative. He could have rolled up, gestured me down. I've been like, what's up? He could have been like, Psh, you ain't got no butt. I ain't got no legs. Together, we make a whole person. <laughs> I'd have been like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Follow me at Marcella Comedy. You guys have a good night. Thank you, Portland. That was Marcella Arguello recorded in front of a live crowd at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. You can find Marcella on Instagram at Marcella Comedy. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. You can find us most weeks hosting Livewire right here. We got to take a quick break, but stick around because when we return, we will hear some music from Portland's own Brown Calculus. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, before we hear some music, a little preview of next week's show, we are going to be talking to comedian, podcaster, and now newly minted author, Jamie Loftus. She's now written her first book. It's called Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. It's part travel log. It's part culinary history. It's all fascinating. Then we're going to talk to the poet Jose Olivares, discussing his latest collection of poetry. It's called Promises of Gold. It is this bilingual exploration of love in all of its different forms. And as always, we are going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the Livewire listeners for next week's show? We are asking our listeners to describe to us their ultimate road trip. Okay. I always feel like it involves like Drew Barrymore in the movie Mad Love, where there's just you're putting a hand out the window, you're letting. Is that too specific? The, that the cut has never been deeper. Chris, <laughs> what's his name? Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, <laughs> got the hand out the window. That tells me it's an ideal road trip. All right, if you've got thoughts, we're here for them. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Livewire Radio, pretty much everywhere. All right, our musical guest this week is the Gemini musical duo of Vaughn Kimmons and Andre Burgess, known collectively as Brown Calculus. Their music is dedicated to illuminating the sacredness of black music with a cosmic sound that remains grounded. They were voted one of Portland's best new bands of 2018. Willamette Week describes their music as spacey soul that should be sold in health and wellness stores. Take a listen to Brown Calculus, recorded live at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Uh, what song are we going to hear? Ooh, Seven Seas. All right. Yes. This yes. is Brown Calculus on Livewire. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
should just let it go Spirit needs rest You should just let it go Spirit needs rest You should just let it go Spirit needs rest You should just let it go Thank you. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That was Brown Calculus right here on Livewire. You can get their latest music on Bandcamp, and their latest single, UFO Days, is out and available now. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Sonam Obsessian, Marcella Arguello, and Brown Calculus. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Hatton is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. And our production fellow is Tanvi Kumar. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Zach Domer, a.k.a. Pony, Ayal Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Marie Lamprum Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Tammy McLaughlin-Trummel of White Salmon, Washington, and Anthony Mayint of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 